0: Welcome to the Building Doctor Show with Jens
1: Johansson. All right, all right. Does anybody else rock out to the Building Doctor Show? Muzak, while you're waiting for the show to start. Welcome to the Building Doctor Show. I am your host, Jens Johansson. Glad to see you here to learn more about your buildings. And give me a second to get my get my screen right here and we've got another fantastic board or another fantastic panel conversation coming to you today we've got a board member and a community manager so we're excited to have Keith Carpenter and Brandy Hubbs, a board member and association manager as our guest today in this episode, we're going to talk about what makes a good board and a good manager during a repair project. And so you're going to have your chance to answer or ask construction re- project repair notes to all three of us, free of charge. Uh, Keith, Keith comes to us as a new board member. He's a very, ex- very experienced business person. He's got a ton of real-world experience. He's uh, run businesses with 100-plus employees in the fields of manufacturing, seafood industry and processing, and now banking. And he's going to share his surprises he encountered joining a board. So this might be kind of humorous. (laughs) So Brandy is a very experienced community manager and has led boards for 20-plus years through accounting and asset management tasks. And she will share uh, what... She sees works. That is kind of a tongue twister there. So we're really privileged to have you both here. Welcome, Keith and Brandy. Tell us a little bit about yourselves and why you wanted to be on the show today. Who wants to go first? We'll let
2: Keith go first.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Brandy. And hi, Jens. Uh, thank you for asking me to, to participate. Uh it's it's been uh about a three-year adventure for me Mm -hmm. since uh, becoming the board president of my association. And uh, as you said, I I have a lot of of, uh, business experience and managing people and and being responsible for their retirement packages and and all these things. Um, But I wasn't really, prepared for how uh, being on an association board is different. And so it's been a, it's been a learning experience for me. And um, I don't think it'd be possible without a good management company, like, like having Brandy as our, as our contact for that particular part of, the, of this adventure. And uh, as we move forward through an assessment process that's been going on for over a year, we're, we're about ready to to do our vote and, and approve our, our assessment and our line of credit to support it. And um, every step of the way uh, has been uh, it's been very difficult. It's gone so slow. You, when you're used to you're in your in a private world and private sector, you can make things happen, and you right. can. And, and push them ahead. Um, but this uh, this association board work is very, very different. And
1: I have learned patience that I didn't know I had. <laughs> All right. great. Well, Brandy, what uh, what what caused you to say yes when we invited you to be on the show?
2: Um well, actually, I think that large scale condo remediation projects, at least in my little community, are starting to come, up more frequently.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, I think this year I've had more irons in the fire of large scale remediation projects and building um, situations, yeah. and that it's important to get a voice out to everybody so they better understand the process. Right. And they understand that there's a light at the end of the tunnel, that yep. There, yep. there is a positive outcome to the process that they're going through.
1: There is some hope. There's some hope here. Well, good. Well, like I said, we're super excited to have you here. Let's jump into some other little housekeeping issues. We always run a little poll to find out where our audience is uh, at or comes from or what they're made up of. And while that it helps, you know, it helps us tailor our questions a little bit better to understand where the folks are from. And while that's running, we do a few little disclaimers. Uh, First of all, the show is for educational content only. We're not selling anything. Put away your credit cards. Uh, We're not giving any legal financial engineering or uh, management advice. And I'm not a medical doctor. We're just people on the internet here to help you run your buildings better. And we've helped thousands of people do that with their condominiums. And uh, we wanna share that with you in hopes that it benefits you. And if it does, please share. This expands the expands the reach, invite your board to watch it with you, uh, send it to your neighbor, do whatever. So uh, I think Ben is gonna be putting in uh, any, any more information uh, in the chat. So if you wanna know any of our experiences, he can put that in there. And then, <clears throat> Uh, stick around for the live Q&A at the end. We'll answer as many questions as we can and we'll add the rest to the next show. And if you have a more specific question, stay tuned for a link in the slides. You'll see uh, all of our contact information. Keith and Brandy have, you know, Keith has volunteered to talk to other board members and Brandy would be happy to make you a client and show you what uh, how she does it. And so... Uh, Make sure you put your questions into the Q&A tab. And if you have any chats, Ben will be watching that chat. And we'll also be giving away a little bit of raffle giveaways. We have a nice fancy J2 box. It has some great J2 brew and some other stuff in it. Ben went to Taco Bell for lunch and I I said, you know, it's Taco Tuesday. So if you want to type hashtag Taco Tuesday into the chat, we'll make sure to get you some tacos because we want to taco about your property. How do you like that? So let's end the poll and share the results. We've got a lot of people from Washington and Oregon, managers, board members, and just curiosity. And uh, several of you have been through a big repair project before. So that's great. All right. We've got an experienced audience and uh, we will go from there. Let's get into the show. All right. If my arrows will work. Okay. So today's agenda we're going to talk about the phases of the repair process this is this is Brandy's I think this is Brandy's uh, little trademark phases thing she she will elaborate on that and then a few slides of life as a board member here's where Keith gets to shine and then we'll talk about risks of inaction we've saw we've heard a lot in the news about buildings collapsing and and boards and and everybody knew about the problems. Uh, it's not just that but it's also, Um, you know, what does this do to our ability to sell, you know, things like that, or our bank loan ability, or any, maybe there's an insurance claim, and we've known about this for a long time, and we haven't done anything. So now we have some risks to that. And then value of consultants. Um, You know, I say we work on a three legged stool a little bit of, of owner, consultant manager, and if these legs break down the stool tips over. So uh, that's what we'll be talking about today. So, Brandy had a wonderful phases of the repair process. So, take us through this Brandy and lots of emotion meaning when we get involved right before a construction project, you know, I'm I'm if I'm a resident there and I've got a bucket on my bed because there's a leak, I'm mad, fix my roof. Rah. So, take take us through that.
2: Uh, Well, you know, a lot of associations are reactive to Mm -hmm. situations, and when enough situations present themselves, enough water intrusion, enough rot disclosure, it raises some red flags that there may be something more systematically wrong with your unit and that it is not a repair that is needed as much as a restoration or remediation to fix the underlying conditions of your building that are causing Mm -hmm. these issues. When I talk about the phases of repair, we typically start with a company like J2, who we as managers see that there's these red flags that happen um, and and rear their ugly head at us and consistent problems that keep arising in various locations throughout the buildings that indicate a bigger systematic failure of the system that your building is sided with. We call in the the J2s of the world and we say we need a building observation report, we need to invest, we need a, dirt, a down deep dirty investigation of what's going on with these buildings and whether this is truly a repair problem or if this is a larger problem that needs a more comprehensive re- response to it. And that first stage is the the, the fear that what are they going to find when they do this building inspection and how is it going to affect us and how much is it going to cost immediately comes to people's mind, not necessarily mm-hmm. the cost of the inspection itself, but the Im- immediate reaction is great, you found this, what's it going to cost. Right. And it's a long time. From the moment you investigate a building till you know what it's going to cost. Mm-hmm. And. People have to spend that time reading that report, deciding whether they believe in it, denial, they negotiate. What if we did it this way? What if we did it that way? Would it cost less? And none of those questions can can honestly be answered at that point in the process. So it creates some frustration and some fear of the unknown. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: And how are we going to get through this? And in that, it creates a disruption in your community and your neighborhood. And sometimes it creates some animosity towards board members, towards management. We wouldn't be in the situation if you didn't look at our buildings. Um, My role has always been to try to educate and keep the community as calm as possible through the process. Because once we know what we know, The fear of the unknown is relieved. Right. And that's where we start going into the acceptance. Have we educated our owners? Do they completely understand the ramifications of doing this versus not doing this and how it will affect the value of their assets? And Hopefully you've conducted enough meetings and you've had enough of your specialists and people in place to communicate to your owners, answer their questions directly, even if they're giving you the same answer as your manager to get that acceptance that you need for the vote to pass on the project and for the funding on the project. Then that heads into the the next, the invasion of the contractors. (laughs)
1: And that's the graphic we see the nail pounding the
2: invasion of the contractors always puts people on edge it's a constant noisy project it's constant interruptions in your daily life to get through this, but when the project is over, there is always relief. The problems have been solved, the questions have been answered, and your building is whole again. Your reserve system has reset. You have a means and a method for paying your assessments, whether it's a line of credit or lump sum assessments. You have some future to look forward to.
1: Mm -hmm. Do you see more relief in the full, we'd call them strip and reclads, as opposed to targeted I can see people going, yeah, I'm getting my roof done and this target thing, but I just know there's going to be another expensive thing for the decks, or I just know there's going to be this, it's the shoe hasn't dropped yet. Do you see?
2: So we do have associations who, who approach a more phased approach to things. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes they're already underfunded in the reserves. So in order to uh, attempt or achieve those phased phased approaches to their projects, they have a series of special assessments that happen year after year after year, and that drags out that middle section, the unknown, the fear of the unknown. How many years are these assessments going to go on? How long is this going to take? Your community becomes assessment fatigued. New owners are unaware that every year you have a new special assessment for two hundred and fifty dollars to $350,000 to do targeted repairs on several buildings, but not all of them. Or when are we going to paint? Well, we can't paint until your buildings are no longer cedar and they're hardy. Well, when's that going to be? Well, at $250,000 a year on six buildings, it's going to be a while. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Right. And it does. And I have an association right now that's come back and said, do you think we can get a bank loan to do the rest? I don't know that that's going to be possible because you haven't had the proper steps right. of the engineering and consulting places in place doing mm-hmm. the phased approach you have done to just do the rest. Banks right. have a lot of, and that's you know another discussion, but banks do have a lot of criteria involved for funding these types of projects for associations. Right
1: and we have some we have some past shows on that people can people can look look up but yeah i i hear it from residents all the time of i i'm not even done paying off assessment 2 yet and here comes assessment 3 and i know it's going to be 4 5 and 6 and i have no idea how i'm going to pay for this stuff as opposed to that one chunk maybe it it's bigger but it's spread out over typically a longer period of time and it's a little bit easier to manage and we know it's not going to come again for another 15, 20 years because things are taken care of. So, yeah. And then importance of O&E manuals for, for the lay person, O&E operation and equipment. Some type of manual that says, here's what you have. Here's how you maintain it. Here's, here's all the information about your products. Why Why do you like the O&E manuals?
2: An O&E manual gives you a clear description of how you create your maintenance calendars for your associations Mm -hmm. and they're based on actual manufacturer recommendations instead of assessments and guesses like a reserve study might be we Mm -hmm. we know that that material has a 30-year lifespan it's 25 years old but it still looks good this isn't this is this is what you have this is how you maintain it and this is how you get the full 30 years out of it right and having that is a great tool for both a manager and a board of directors to plan your budgeting and your maintenance schedule for your buildings and and keeping everything up to up to par and not letting it fall behind um schedule. yep,
1: yeah. okay. All right, keith, what what stage are you guys in? Are you in the fear of the unknown or acceptance of vote? What um, <laughs> well, we're 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 down to voting. And uh,
0: we've, we've gone through all of those stages that Brandy described. Mm-hmm. And uh, along the way, um, people, like she said, they, they get anxious and they want information. Mm-hmm. And um, as, as a board member, we're, we want to give them information. But the process of gathering information, is, is, is it's, it's glacial in pace. Mm-hmm. And, and we have learned. <laughs> I have learned you don't want to give incomplete information and you right. certainly don't want to give raw information um, it's hard to retract it. it's impossible yeah the and people want estimates and right. and there's no possible way to really know what something's going to cost until you've gone through all the exploratory uh, mm. and, and, and all, all the phases of, of determining what it's gonna cost and getting quotes from contractors, um, which doesn't happen till really towards the end of, of right. this process. Uh, and, and along the way, it is it is frustrating. And it, it, for our association, we have two major projects going on. We have three buildings. We have mm-hmm. three groups and it's pretty easy for people to accept my roof is leaking, I need it repaired. That's, mm-hmm. not, that's not too hard to, to get people you know, on board with that. Um, it's harder when one of the roofs was recently redone, but it was not done properly. Right. Uh, it was done exactly, the contractor did what they were asked to do, but they just weren't asked to do it correctly. It wasn't an engineered roof like J2 is doing for us. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's hard to get people to trust that you're making the right decision for them when they just had that roof redone. Right. um, But gathering that information, doing the uh, investigation, um, having a third party owner representative like J2 on board to help us with that uh, makes it possible. But even then, it's still a stretch for people to believe that. The second part of our project uh, is our decks. Mm -hmm. That is a lot harder for for people to um, all get in line, you know, on board with, because not all the decks are seemingly in need of repair. Mm -hmm. For the ones that are, it's pretty easy. Oh, my deck has an issue. (laughs) Yes, but for the people who can't see inside their deck, Right. And they think it's OK. It's that it's it's that's a challenge to get them to understand that and the process, what it's going to take to really see it doesn't happen until the construction takes place.
1: So right. or, or a good invasive investigation to look up inside the soffit and see the damage. Yeah, yeah. exactly.
0: Um, but even then, you didn't look at my deck. You looked at my right. neighbor's deck. A oh, yes.
1: sampling. Uh, yep. Yep. You and- bet.
0: And, and I think from a, a board perspective, being on the board uh, of, uh, and again, I want to compare it against a uh, private sector where mm. we have teams of people that specialize in stuff and it, it's, uh, and people know them. Uh, mm. But in the creation, we have multiple owners. We have 22. We're a small association with 22. But even then, we have 22 personalities. Mm-hmm. We have 22 people with different um, histories of, of they've owned their own houses before, they lived in apartments, they lived in condominiums. And everybody comes in with different histories, and they don't all talk to each other. And so to to, to try to accommodate all the different questions, concerns, and and. I, I hate to say it, but the conspiracy theories that, that, that develop right. these processes um, are really interesting and and require a tremendous amount of empathy. I say that you need you need a, a tough skin because you're mm-hmm. going to get a lot of accusations, and, and and inside that tough skin, you better have a kind heart and an empathetic heart. Um, if it's going to take that to get through all the phases that Brandy just described. Yep. And we're in this final phase now, and I'm really excited uh, for, for our vote to happen so we can actually move forward with fixing something
1: that needs some to be action. Yep, some yep. Action. we call it action. Brandy, before we, the last question off this slide, as a manager, what's your favorite go-to method to motivate a board through these steps?
2: I think that showing them the history, um, and that's part of what I do when I start seeing red flags. What is your history? Mm -hmm. How many times have you repaired this section? How many times has this situation, how much of your reserve funds has gone, gone towards reactive repairs that are incomplete versus a comprehensive repair that resolves the underlying issue? Right. And that history, and sometimes it's a little hard to get if you haven't managed them for a long time. And a lot of times, at least for me, the it's the associations that are coming to me that I haven't managed for a long time that are, that are seeing these things. The associations that have known me for 15, 20 years have a lot more initial acceptance of what I'm saying than maybe the ones that have just met me. That showing them that history, that history of 20,000 here, 20,000 there, but you couldn't fix the underlying problem because the underlying problem might be that there's no flashing at the deck to building interface and water is rotting the patio below. If you just fix the rot, it's just going to come back because you don't have any flashing at the the deck to building interface and you can't get that flashing without removing the deck. Right. Right. So that has been super helpful to me in just doing a little research and saying, so you've spent $600,000 in the last 10 years reacting to rot.
3: How did that work for you?
2: How did that work for you? And is this, are we going to continue down this path? You're spending more money reacting to situations than you are putting away for your future comprehensive replacement. And educating the associations that their reserve fund is not a rainy day fund. It is not an emergency fund. That is what is supposed to be there for these comprehensive replacements when your building has reached the end of its use, your building components have used reached the end of their useful life. So if you're repairing sections of siding and sections of your building, I've seen reserve cities that say, oh, you're going to do eighteen thousand dollars for the siding repairs this year. That's a repair. That's not a capital expense. That's simply reacting to a situation and not fixing why you're having to do eighteen thousand dollars of siding repairs every year.
1: Yep, yep. Good points. Okay, next slide. So Keith, we're on to you. Life as a board member. Aside from thick skin and and uh, a good heart, I call it volunteer spirit, but good heart is good. The, uh, <laughs> we kind of covered a few of those things, but talk talk about you know I didn't realize it would take forty five minutes per email writing the same things over and over again. What and then how how would you how would you answer that? Maybe give us some context around that.
0: Well, that is uh, that's spot on that. that 45 minute email and when you're asked the same question multiple times by different people sure. it's it's you know it, you expect that um, even if you send out a blanket letter to the association explaining things you're still going to get questions asked that you actually answered in those in those and in, in maybe that letter. Um, and what I've learned is, you it's you need to be prepared to answer the same question two or three different ways because not everybody understands, not everybody has the background to understand terms and, and conditions, sure. um, and to pre- prevent frustration um, by taking the time to write a thoughtful communication.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, that you know is going to generate questions um, and be prepared then to answer those questions. Uh, it gets a little more frustrating when it's your own board that's asking the same questions. <laughs> but that, right. that that happens too, because even as the board members, they're just volunteers. Uh, and some of them come from strong backgrounds of uh, board experience, and some it's the very first time. And they they really want to participate and be active, um, and then there's the board members who they're doing it, but they're they're, they're not going to give you much of their time. And it, we have five board members, and it boils down to a couple that are going to do the work, mm-hmm. and then you have to round everybody else up, uh, and and like herding cats, of course, um, mm-hmm. to get approvals and votes and and. And you have to run everything by the board. You can't just make a decision. You can't just send out a communication that they haven't seen. Um, so that's, it. that's just the process. And, it, and it, it's over and over and over. And that's what you have to do uh, and be prepared to do it. And um and- keep track of track of your, your what you do send out so that you can recall it when you need to.
1: Right. Have you developed any tricks to make
3: it easier? Um, Yes, (laughs) I have learned to do it in
0: as few words as you possibly can. Mm -hmm. Um, And it'll help speed up the process. And that's, and, and to, to have it well thought out before you present it to the board. And, 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 take their feedback and incorporate it in the communication and then get it out to the association as quickly as you can.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: don't procrastinate.
1: Right. Right. Brandy, any tips or tricks on getting, you know, we, we get it that it's, that it's slow and we got to kind of talk about the same thing. And is there any,
2: well, I I know from my perspective, it's important that when owners call and ask questions, that no matter who they're talking to, they're getting the, the same and consistent answer. And if if as a team member, yeah. you pick up the phone and you get a call from one of my associations that are going through one of these situations and you're not aware of it, you haven't attended the meetings, don't try to answer the questions. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, you're not being, not to be mean, but you're not being helpful if you're not giving the right answers. <laughs> right. Right. Speculation doesn't help anybody.
1: Right. Yeah. <clears throat> and getting everybody on the same page. Well, I talked to board member one and they said, mm-hmm. board member two, they said, and yeah, kind of controlling.
2: Yeah. And that's part of the negotiation phase. Owners sort of said, Well, I talked to a guy who does siding and he said he could do the he could do my building for this. But he's not basing that that air quote on any specifications or any specific products or any installation guidelines Mm -hmm. or practices so it's a negotiation in your mind of well this person told me that I'm paying that you're charging me too much for this job and really getting them to understand that we as a team their board their consultant the contractors that are bidding the jobs we're all trying to do the best for them we can to get them the best possible outcome And the best possible building for the the amount of money we're asking them to invest into it.
1: Mm Yep. All right. Another set of board member questions here. How do you handle the the precedence question? And what I mean by that is, you know, the the last five boards, or we've we've always done it this way. And then you then you pick up your documents and you realize you weren't supposed to do it that way. And you know when one response is just because we've been doing it wrong doesn't mean we keep doing it. how how do you how do you handle that? And I guess Keith, you, have you guys experienced any of that or maybe you don't want to admit, but maybe Brandy <laughs> <laughs> oh maybe, yeah how do you...
0: we, we've we've experienced it it's It's interesting that earlier on Brandy said that she's got the most assessment projects going on now than she's ever had. Mm-hmm. And, and I look at our community here in Bellingham. And so many of our associations were built in the late 70s, early 80s, you know through the early 90s. they're all aging you know out now and uh, the ones that were really well built, which ours was is lasted longer without needing major work. but so many of the other ones are um, it weren't built as well or had different conditions and so it's all happening at once, which is an advantage uh, to a degree, as a, as we try to um, help our associations through the assessment process, because they can see their neighbors ar- around our neighborhood are, right. are doing very similar things, uh, and and I've gotten to meet a couple of board presidents, <laughs> yeah, with, you know, and, and we can commiserate because um, mm-hmm. it's the same for everybody. Um, mm-hmm. the 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 maintenance issue, uh, yeah there really hasn't been any for us there's been handymen you know taking care of a, something but not a not a bonded contractor in so many cases and it's worked for the, you know it worked in the past why can't we do it that way um, and it's a lot a lot cheaper you know because what we're proposing uh, requires engineering uh, and licensed bonded contractors and drawings and Architects involved, and it's it is a lot more expensive. So what I have tried to convey uh, to my association and my uh, other board members is, it's not our job to try to save money. It's not not try to do it for as least as we possibly can. It's our job to spend our money responsibly, and. To spend money responsibly on maintenance and upkeep requires this team of people. You can't just go get a one-man contractor to take care of it. We're seeing the results of that now. We're we're seeing so many things that um, there was no real maintenance. There was just sort of, well, we'll just take care of this little problem. Mm -hmm. Not really identifying it. Well, if it's that problem here, then that same problem must exist in other areas in our buildings. Right. Um, and, and that's that's the difference.
1: Yep, yep. And I think that's kind of the third bullet as well. When do when you get out your governing documents? And maybe Brandy, this is a question for you. When you get out your governing documents and kind of teach on that and say, yeah, I know the last manager did that or I know the last board did that and they were wrong here's what your governing documents say. I know Google says that, but uh, Google's not right. Or I know Facebook (laughs) says this and next door says that, but here's what our documents say. And so when, when do you kind of pull that out? Do you pull it out every meeting and kind of point to it? Or do you do little trainings on it or kind of wait till you've got three or four issues to kind of talk about in a town hall or something?
2: I refer back to the governing documents quite a bit. It, for mm-hmm. me, just having done this as long as I've done it, knowing that there are four different acts and every every community's documents are written a little differently. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the bigger uh, things that I've run across in the older associations is the mentality and the historical precedents that if it's an owner expense, then the owner takes care of it. Mm-hmm. And I really, really try to educate the boards on the wording in their documents that, no, this is your responsibility to take care of. It's their responsibility to pay for it. Mm-hmm. And one of our biggest failures that I've seen over the years in building envelopes is owner maintenance on windows and exterior doors and penetrations. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Our governing documents say windows are a special limited common element that serve one building or one unit to the benefit of that unit. Mm -hmm. They're also part of your building envelope and the structural integrity of your building depends on them being installed correctly. Mm -hmm. And if they're not, they create a common expense for everyone when they fail. Right.
1: And I, I think that's that's the <clears throat> alluding to that fourth bullet. It's kind of written one's written forward and the other one is written backwards, I'll call it. And we're we are actually seeing a lot of boards that are challenged with this right now. into the into the first way, it's the association shall maintain. And if they right. don't have the money in the reserves, they shall assess. period. And so how we proceed with that assessment is everybody gets, you know, here's $10,000 assessment. We pull it together. Then we go do the work. The other way that, you know, that other bullet point says these particular things are an owner's financial responsibility, but so is an assessment owner's financial responsibility, but the HOA is responsible for them. So the HOA is going to go fix them and then backbill the owner. To me, that's okay. We're going the other direction. But where it could delineate is my one window has a problem and it's leaking. And so the association does that one window, sends a back bill to that one client and nobody else is bothered with it. And so then it it gets mushed around. And like you said, if somebody puts in windows the wrong way and their windows on the third floor drip down to the second and first floor and they've damaged everything, now everybody's paying for it. So, are you seeing these two types of things, or is it just me and is it just what I I mean, both of them are owner responsibility? An assessment is an owner responsibility. Maybe this is a legal question. I don't know. So
2: a special assessment to all owners follows a different procedure mm-hmm. than a limited common element assessment mm-hmm.
3: to one owner. Okay. Mm-hmm.
2: Typically, and not in all associations, there's a few in governing documents that say the board may levy an assessment and it says nothing about them following through with a vote. Most associations have special assessments ratified the same way a budget is ratified. Right. And unless a majority of your owners reject it, it's ratified as assessed by the by the association. In a special limited common assessment, the board has taken on the role of replacing a special limited common element, whether it be your deck or your window per your governing Mm -hmm. documents, and they bill you for that. You don't get a vote. That needs to get done. That Mm -hmm. window needs to be replaced. That deck needs to be replaced. We've gone out to competitive bid, and here's the cost. Here's your cost. You owe the association this. There is no vote.
1: But your next door neighbor doesn't have to do the same thing.
2: Correct. Your next door neighbor's window and deck may be fine or whatever their special limited common element is for their unit may be fine.
1: Okay. So where do people find that in their governing documents? You said it was special limited common element and then special assessment.
2: So there's, there's several types of elements. There's a common element. There's a limited common element for the use and enjoyment of less than all. And then there's a special limited common element. And depending on how your governing documents are written, a limited and a special limited common element may end up being at the expense of the those who benefit from it.
1: Gotcha. How many of your, in a big rule of thumb or a big lick your thumb and hold it up in the wind, what percentage of the documents you read delineate that well?
2: Maybe about 7%. 7 oh wow so <clears throat> where you get into problems for example an association may have a a unit may have a patio or a deck outside mm. of its side the side of its its unit but that patio sits on top of or is the roof for the garage where does that limited common element start and where does the common mm. element start right because it is a structural component of the building. Gotcha. So that's, that's, yeah, that's created some conflict in the way that Mm -hmm. documents are written of, oh, well, you didn't maintain your deck and that's why that whole west wall is rotting out. Right, right. But that deck is the roof to your garage. And it's rotted out three structural beams that hold up your entire building. If the east side of your building falls, I promise you, just because you're on the west, you are going to notice. Right. Right. <laughs> yep,
1: yep. So yeah, this was this was my question because I'm I'm seeing this and I'm like, oh, it sounds like a owner responsibility anyway. But yeah, thank you for explaining that. Hopefully that's clearer Thanks. to some people. But 93% of your governing documents don't have it. So.
2: <clears throat> they don't have it clearly defined. Right. Okay? And sometimes you do need to look to your your legal counsel for a legal opinion. So where, mm-hmm. you know, where do we start and where do we end? How do we logically approach this so that the association is being fair?
1: Yep. We're talking about some high-end nuanced questions that are very specific to a construction project. What tricks do either of you have to get new board members up to speed?
2: From my perspective, I always offer a few um, sort of on-the-house consults. Come in and meet with me. I've got a new treasurer. She's never been a treasurer before. Once per quarter for her first term, we are meeting to review the financials together. So she knows what questions to ask of me, and Mm -hmm. she can do her two-year term without... Feeling like that she's she's inadequate in her role. Gotcha. Uh, we offer. Oh, uh, sorry. Yeah, we offer links to Community Association Institute board training. We encourage them to do board training. We keep um, reading material on hand, both digital and and paper reading that we offer our our board members to just kind of look at what their role is and strongly talk to them about as a team as a board what are you going to delegate to management and what of your role are you going to take on so that we can make a plan and we're not asking who's make who's taking meeting minutes every time we walk into a meeting or who's giving the financial report
1: right keith how about you do you have any advice to get new board members up to speed
2: well we we
0: work really hard to keep our board together we've uh, really, really uh, since i've the president this last three-year term. We've only had uh, one, one board member had done their service for five or six years, and they really wanted off. We've got another one on. But it's, it's sort of interesting. I took over. I, I was member of the board of my association, but just a board member for a couple, three years in the past
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, before COVID. Mm-hmm. When COVID hit, that's right when I became president, And then we were having Zoom meetings and we've Mm -hmm. never, ever had so many people attend meetings uh, Mm -hmm. until Zoom. Now we have, uh, I think, really good participation from our members because they can easily attend a meeting now. Right. So board members get, I think, a a lot more exposure to uh, than they did before and to how meetings are run and uh, questions from the association um, and having someone like Brandy as our association management company who has really good experience. Um, I defer to Brandy to help us get our board members up to speed. Um, it, Cause it's and I it, it's really difficult as a, board member to really understand the documents uh, and, and I constantly need to refer to them. uh, And none of us are going to spend three hours trying to find this stuff. So having a good association management company like Brandy and Windermere to call and say, Hey, where do we find this clause we're looking for? Um, And, and then share that with the board. And so make sure that the new board members get, some kind of communication that, that highlights that. Um, yep. That's
1: really and the only way I know how. All right. Yep. Good, good tips. Okay. Doesn't Keith seem like somebody you'd want to reach out and talk to for a cup of coffee. And here is his email Keith at Lummi dot com. And if that rings a bell for you, that is a great smoked salmon and scallops and wild caught seafood place. So check them out. And if you like what Brandy's saying, brandy at com, And uh, she can talk to you as well. So that's how to get a hold of them. And now let's kind of this last subject before we get into consultants and why we hate them. I mean, use them is <laughs> the, uh, the risks, the risks of inaction. And this this was kind of a topic that's been floating around in the news and 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 we've we've started talking about, you know, we've put put out these bullets here. Um, I think the first one there, we, we call it the cats out of the bag syndrome. The second that a report comes out that says, oh my gosh, you have all this damage and your decks are falling off. Now we need to disclose it. And we have a date on this thing that says we've known about this issue for, you know, a few months and what are we doing about it? And that kind of raises, well, you've got several different shareholders or stakeholders, if you will, what do the banks say about, you know, do I want to issue a loan on this property? What does your insurance company say? Do I want to renew your policy? What does uh, the media say if, if you're Surfside, Florida, and things collapse, and the and the management structure has known about these issues for years? Uh, your insurance company always has some provisions in their policies that say you have one or two years to file a claim. If you don't, you're, you don't have an insurance uh, coverage anymore. And so, uh, you know, value and resale of your units. to Form 17, we need to disclose. Do you have any upcoming assessments? Well, I probably do if I've got a bunch of decks falling off. So what Brandy, is that how how big of an issue is this? Um,
2: It has become more of an issue in the last few years. um, Since COVID and since some of the condo catastrophes have been occurring across the nation, Um, A report issued in 2019 had little, little. Impact on sales in 2019 and 2020, but now sure. has a huge impact on sales that the owners that the association hasn't made a plan or done the work. um They've lost their their ability to fund through Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Their insurance mm-hmm. company is posing them as a high risk candidate for deferred maintenance, and their owners are unable to sell their units to anyone but cash offers. They have. Mm-hmm. A, you know, they, the, the unknown, what will the assessment be? How much per unit? How do we quantify that? And sell? who's going to pay it, me or my buyer, mm-hmm. um, all of those things uh, get into that panic stage of, of, Everybody's going to sell the unit because there's there's an assessment coming or I can't sell my unit because you're going to do a special assessment and trying to educate them that the reason you can't sell your unit is because you haven't done the special assessment, you haven't made a plan, not because it's pending. So... It's affected associations considerably. We've seen a hike to 60 to 100% increase in insurance premiums in moving Mm -hmm. from $8,000 premiums to $108,000 premiums until the work is completed. Um, Emergency shoring requirements by the local municipal codes or the units will be deemed unlivable or uninhabitable because of the safety issues surrounding the condition of Mm -hmm. of their building everybody is on high alert to deferred maintenance whether you have a building envelope report or you have meeting minutes that indicate that you have building issues you haven't addressed mm-hmm. they're asking questions and they're getting more in depth in their research on their reserve studies and the meeting minutes and all of those things to learn about these communities and to learn what they're buying what they're buying into mm-hmm. and it is absolutely affecting the sellability
1: it was interesting uh, this morning. I was being deposed in another construction case, and and there was a lot of there was a lot of questions about did you ask about repairs and maintenance, and did you get any history of the project? And it was it was interesting that they've even turned that up a little bit. Instead of one question, it was a dozen around mm-hmm. around the what did you know coming into this inspection process. Okay. Yeah. Um, And then, you know, uh, obviously, in action, we can figure that out. Um, But in action from, you know, definitive answers from advisors. So obviously, making sure that they, you know, do the do their inspection, get the report turned around do you know, make their recommendations, give us an action plan that that's what we would expect from an advisor. Um, But also from the community. So back to that phases of grief, well now I'm deer in the headlights. I know I need. I know what the problem is. I need to make a decision, and I don't want to because it's going to be expensive. It's going to be painful. It's it's like writing my will. I know I'm going to die, and I know I should have this, but I don't want to do it.
3: Mm-hmm. And
1: so, um, how you know, definitive answers. What what's a great way to get answers back from the community? Say, come on, guys, we need to get moving on this.
2: Uh, town hall meetings, surveys, uh, making sure you have an open forum at your board meetings, making sure you're giving proper notice of board meetings, sending out data and information on what's gonna be discussed at board meetings. I mean, as Keith said, there's always gonna be those people that are going to lean towards a negative conspiracy theory. What is the board gaining from doing this project? Mm. What is the what is the board's benefit? Um, oftentimes, it's like, especially in larger communities, they forget that they're boarder their neighbors. They're not people governing them that don't have a vested interest in the community and that don't have ownership in their assets. Um, they're not big brother per se,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and um, they're volunteers. And it's sometimes sad to see how they're how they're treated through these processes. Right.
1: Yep. One of the reasons we love working for volunteers, it's their heart is in it. So let's see the last bullet point, and then we got to keep moving. Uh, sometimes dividing up a project into phases costs more, you know, and it's, it's, uh we've got a great handout that Ben can put in the chat, 16 reasons why you should or shouldn't do something. But it it's, uh, it basically talks about can we do the north elevation this year? Can we do the south elevation this year? Can we build do building one this year, two this next year, three next year? And we can do a
2: special assessment of two hundred and fifty thousand when we need a special assessment when we do the next building and the next yep. building.
1: So twenty-four
2: buildings. Is it twenty-four right. special assessments in twenty-four years before and then we? Then whose get building goes first?
1: Why is Keith getting his building done <laughs> before President? That's not fair. And so yeah. It, it goes through that whole list. So it's something to think about. Uh, we, we certainly understand targeted repairs. We certainly understand having to break things down per budget, uh, but it gives, gives you something to chew on there. And inaction is not getting around to doing what you need to do. So anything else before we jump to the next one? All right. And... So, the value of consultants, this isn't a shameless plug, but it's the one, one of the, one of the points that I hear people like is a funny, it's a, I don't want to tell my neighbor because they'll hate me. And can I hire you to tell my neighbor the bad news? And so I laugh and I say, baseball managers are hired to be fired, right? So, (laughs) there's one, there's one aspect of that. But I think one of the, one of the big things that people, uh, seem to overlook is an independent consultant. I, I, I'm i not selling you anything. I'm not selling you windows. I'm not selling you roof. I'm not selling you, you know, ask ask a an you know, unscrupulous roofer if you need a roof. Of course you do. Yeah, you bet. And maybe that doesn't solve all your problems. Um, and then there may be some requirements. Um, Brandy, can you elaborate on the insurance policy limit there? Was that was that for or, like a fire loss or a- If
2: you some... look in um, your declarations, there's a section that discusses insurance. There's an exhibit B that talks about the details of that insurance coverage. Mm-hmm. Most condominium association declarations will say if you've had a catastrophic event to your building, um, fire, hurricane, earthquake, catastrophic events to your building envelope to your building or the structural com- condition of your building in excess of $50,000, you are required to have an engineer sign off on those repairs mm. per the requirements of your declaration. Right. Because And then of course, as you know, the RCW 6455 has its own requirements for- That'd be a Washington equipment.
1: state statute. Yeah. The
2: Washington state statute has its own requirements of assessed value. And then there's just best practice. Mm-hmm. I think that it's a common uh, misunderstanding that managers know everything you're you're the association manager. Why do we need an engineer? Right. This is what you do for a living. An association's manager's specialty is governance, assisting you through governance and Who's responsible for what when it comes to the governance of your buildings? Mm -hmm. We're here to guide you towards the proper experts to help you answer the questions that they're specializing in to answer your questions and to build a team for you of consultants, whether it be legal, accounting, engineering, architecture, landscape design. Don't ask me to pick colors for your building. Don't ask me to get paint colors because I'm not even allowed to pick my own paint colors at my own house. (laughs) I am not the color person. Sometimes okay a color consultant
1: yeah and it's you know the training and education of the boards uh that's that's kind of the impetus for the show and you know we know a lot about party plank siding and roof ventilation and building envelope and things like that but we've worked with enough boards that that we we said you know let's let's put on some educational topics and get some guest speakers on to talk about this stuff to help our boards and so uh, viewing your consultant maybe is offering some training or some education. That's, that's another place where we could help. Uh, and then history, that last bullet, you know, we got a call last week from a customer we worked with in 2007. And so, Hey, you know, we've been through a bunch of managers and a bunch of boards, but uh, you know, one, one of the, one or two of the board members still live there. And they were like, I remember you. <clears throat> and so we're so glad you have our old file. And just from a business practice, we have, you know, have their old documents, their old reports, their old stuff. Granted, they're 16 years old or whatever they are. But we can say, yeah, sure, we'll put them on a thumb drive for you and you can have them and and repopulate your, your uh, stuff as well. So anything else you would add to that?
0: I would add the value of a consultant is... And an association like ours, it's approaching fifty years old. The building codes have evolved and changed sure. quite a bit. Um, materials have improved and evolved quite a bit, mm-hmm. and but the knowledge base of the members of the association probably hasn't evolved. Right. The same way um, and to apply new modern materials on a, 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 a to fix something without understanding all the implications of it uh, can't happen without a consultant and uh, you need an architect engineering person involved between uh, fixing something with better materials on an old building. Um, And as a board member, even if I had that experience myself, I would counsel another board member to get a third party to do that. Sure. Uh, uh, You you just don't want to put yourself in that position. You need a third party owner's representative so that you can present something or have something presented to your members that can't be questioned.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. Good. Good questions. OK, let's keep moving in the q and I think we're getting up on our hour there, but we're going to I see two questions. So what Ben is going to do, if he hasn't gathered all your Taco Tuesday things, you got to give him. I don't know. Is it emails? He has to reach out to you and get your email. So then we'll get you some tacos and then the giveaway box. Like I said, we'll get to that right after Q&A. So right now is Q&A, let's go up to the tab. I see two questions up there. Jody says, don't forget to mention that associations may have some insurance coverage for their projects. Uh, our association just completed a $5 million remediation a couple of years ago, and we were able to collect a few million dollars for wind-driven water damage. We had, had to replace 100% of the sheathing and, and that was an expense we didn't plan on and had to request a second assessment. We now have a very reserve account. So Jody's bringing up, uh, yeah, don't don't overlook so your insurance coverage. You may have coverage for wind-driven rain or hidden damage. And uh, if you've been paying your premiums for, for years, uh, if you've got insurance coverage for it, get it. Take, take advantage of that uh anonymous says do you have suggestions for recruiting new board members we have a hard time keeping good board members and harder time replacing bad ones Ooh, yeah you've asked about three questions well two questions do you guys have suggestions for recruiting new board members
2: um that is the question that is the golden question of associations always. Um, mm-hmm. You get a large association with a few volunteers and they start to get a little tired and burned out. Yep. Burned I out. think the important thing I found not in a, a not necessarily in a threatening manner, but in a realistic manner of educating your communities on what the alternative to having a board governing you is. Mm -hmm. And it's not having your management company make all the decisions for you. That's not an option. Um, Our contracts limit us to certain things that we can and can't respond to. And the decision-making is your board of directors. They Mm -hmm. have to be the decision-makers in your community. In the state of Washington, uh, an association that does not have a governing party could subject themselves to what's called a conservatorship. The state of Washington will step in and govern your association for you and determine how much budgeting needs are for your community, what your repair and maintenance needs are for your community. And until you can get out of a conservatorship, you're stuck with being at the mercy of the state of Washington's desire for you to maintain your community. Wow. So there, is a, there is an importance. When you buy into a community, when you buy into a community association, I think everybody should buy in with the idea that I'm going to do my part and mm-hmm. not just live there, but participate. That, that is what I'm agreeing to. I'm agreeing to being a part of this community and applying these governing documents to my daily life.
1: Gotcha, yep, that's good, good advice.
3: Keith? Well, um, serving Keith, on a board- Keith bribes on with salmon. Yeah. <laughs>
0: serving on a board is it's a commitment. It's mm-hmm. a time commitment. It's a responsibility. Um, and I agree with Brandy, if you're, if you're a member of a, a community such as a condo association, you need to do your part. Um, For recruiting, uh, I try to look at the complexion of the board as it is. Uh, You don't want all hairdressers. You don't want you don't want all doctors. You you really want to try to if you you know the best you can create a board that that represents the community. Um, But it's nice to have a mix of, of of Professional experiences with your members. Um, really nice to have someone with accounting background. Really nice mm-hmm. to have some with construction background. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes down to actually choosing a member, uh, it, you know the most important thing. If you're an employer, if you don't start your employee relationship, you won't have. It won't end well if it doesn't start well. So sure. interview. Interview if you If you can choose between a couple, interview them and interview them as as a board. Um, mm-hmm. find out who they are and what what could they bring to the board that would help make it a stronger, better board?
1: Yep, yep. Interview. fantastic. Any any as we're wrapping up, unless anybody wants to put in another question, uh, what about replacing bad ones? Any advice on re- <laughs> asking people to leave? <clears throat> uh,
2: well, I mean, I guess it all depends on what makes them bad. A, a diverse right. board who's open to discussion and debate, even if they're on opposite ends of an opinion, doesn't make it a bad board. Right. Um, but the spirit of cooperation and the spirit of majority mm-hmm. it, is important. And I think sometimes boards fall into the category of well, if we can't all agree on it, we don't want to vote on it. We mm-hmm. don't want to show division. It's okay to show division. It's okay if three people vote yes on something and two people vote no. Mm-hmm. That's what Robert's Rules of Order, that's what the parliamentarian process is for. Three outvote two, the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. So It really depends on what makes them a bad board member. If a board will typically have the ability to remove someone from an officer position, but not the board of directors itself. Sometimes if a board votes someone off as president and says, we don't want you to be our president anymore, Paul, uh, you can just be a member at large. You're still voting on the board. You're still a member of the board, but your role as president, you've, you've abused that role. We don't want you to be a role that role anymore, that will be enough for them to often say, well, if you don't want me as your president, I don't want to be on the board because they have an ulterior motive for being there and they want to be sure. in control. And the biggest misconception in an association is that the president is in control. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> gives a thumbs up to that. All right. Yeah. Good. Good comments. These are fantastic Q&A answers. Okay. On to the giveaways, choose a number for the box. I choose number five. So how this happens is Ben sees your attendance sign-in sheet and somebody is number five, and he will reach out to you and make sure you get this gift.
2: Ben gets all the glory, doesn't he? (laughs) He gets to send tacos, he gets to give
1: the gifts. Yeah, I'm the boring guy, he gets to do the fun stuff. Okay, did you know we have free resources? And this is one more of those things. So go to our website, learn.j2consultants.com slash resources and check out our YouTube page. We've got over 300 videos out there with similar topics. And don't forget, we're back at the end of each month, the last Tuesday of every month, 3.30. Thanks for, thanks for being a part of it. And uh, you can scan that if you want to. And so as we conclude, thank you very much to Keith and Brandy for some perspective on what makes a good board and good management team in a construction project. I think this has been fun to pick this information out of you and get your perspective on it. And we really appreciate you being a part of it. So thank you very much.
3: You're
1: welcome. All right. Thanks, everybody. Have a good rest of the week.
3: Bye-bye.